receive this great honor of the D.W. Griffith Award. But I'm in London making eyes wide shut with Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman. And just about this time, I'm probably in the car on the way to the studio, which, as it happens, reminds me of a conversation I had with Steven Spielberg about what was the most difficult and challenging thing about directing a film. And I believe Steven summed it up about as profoundly as you can. He thought the most difficult and challenging thing about directing a film was getting out of the car. I'm sure you all know the feeling. But at the same time, anyone who has ever been privileged to direct a film also knows that although it can be like trying to write war and peace in a bumper car in an amusement park, when you finally get it right, there are not many joys in life that can equal the feeling. I think there's an intriguing irony in naming the Lifetime Achievement Award after D.W. Griffiths, because his career was both an inspiration and a cautionary tale. His best films will always rank among the most important films ever made, and some of them made him a great deal of money. He was instrumental in transforming movies from a Nickelodeon novelty to an art form. And he originated and formalized much of the syntax of movie making, now taken for granted. He became an international celebrity, and his patronage included many of the world's leading artists and statesmen of the time. But Griffith was always ready to take tremendous risks in his films and in his business affairs. He was always ready to fly too high. And in the end, the wings of fortune proved for him, like those of Icarus, to be made of nothing more substantial than wax and feathers. And like Icarus, when he flew too close to the sun, they melted. And the man whose fame exceeded the most illustrious filmmakers of today spent the last 17 years of his life shunned by the film industry he had created. I've compared Griffith's career to the Icarus myth, but at the same time, I've never been certain whether the moral of the Icarus story should only be, as is generally accepted, don't try to fly too high, or whether it might also be thought of as forget the wax and feathers and do a better job on the wings. One thing, however, is certain. D.W. Griffith left us with an inspiring and intriguing legacy. And the award in his name is one of the greatest honors a film director can direct. Good evening. Welcome to the Dr. Seuss Film Podcast. 93 years ago, on July 26, 1928, Stanley J. Kubrick was born. Illustrious director, died on March 7, 1999, after completing his final film, Eyes Wide Shut. And I don't even think he himself 
knew that would be his final film. His films are hedonistic. I don't think so, but that's what the critics say. When I think of his films, they are life. They are brutal. They're beautiful. They're gut-wrenching. They're passionate. They're everything. They're everything. And what you heard at the beginning was Stanley Kubrick very rarely gave interviews, and that was his speech for the Directors Guild of America. He received in 1998 the D.W. Griffin Award, and he mentioned how he flew too close to the sun, Griffin. was That was also because of the films that he made in terms of they were very racist and... But the, the art film itself, the art form, the art form. Stanley Kubrick has been gone for decades. His films are still very much alive. Only Stanley Kubrick could get uh, Peter Sellers to play three roles in Doctor Strange. Originally, Peter wanted to play four. He was going to play Slim Pickens, who rides the bomb in Doctor Strange Love, but he couldn't. He couldn't do a Texas accent. And I thought tonight we would talk about Life in Pictures, Stanley Kubrick, which is a beautiful documentary. If you don't watch, if you've never watched any of Kubrick's films, and you want to know, okay. I, I want a window inside of this this director, this legendary director, controversial director, artistic director. 2001's documentary by his, uh, I believe it's his brother-in-law, Jan Har- John Harlan. Jan Harlan. Jan Harlan. The documentary is 142 minutes, narrated by Tom Cruise. A lot of these people are gone. I mean, you know, uh, Ligeti, uh, Sidney Pollack talks with a lot of his collaborators, people who who uh, loved Stanley from afar. The film contains some rare footage, including from Kubrick family home videos and on film sets and clips from Fear and Desire, Kubrick's first feature-length film. I first remember looking through a book on Stanley Kubrick at the bookstore and the sights. I think Fear and Desire, there's a a shot of the boxing and then of uh, Clockwork Orange, how he shot the bed scene, how he just had the feet sticking out because that was the vantage point. But a life in pictures is a life in pictures. You can watch, I believe it's on Netflix. It's also on iTunes for like $4. So if that's your, you want to fly too close to the sun, fly with Stanley Kubrick because he truly flew too close to the sun. Watch it on Apple TV and Amazon Prime. And right now it is on YouTube, I believe, for free. 
that's not it. <laughs> Mistakes, I leave them in. That's part of being human. Here we go. Kind of war film buffs. We had never seen anything quite like it. We never seen anything quite like the uh, the uh, tone of it. We had seen other anti-war films, but this one was so honest, particularly the trial scene and the scenes between McCready and Kirk Douglas. I ordered an attack. Your troops refused to attack. Our troops did attack, sir, but they could make no headway. Because they didn't try, Colonel. I saw it myself. Half of your men never left the trenches. A third of my men were pinned down because the fire was so intense. Don't quibble over fractions, Colonel. And that's Scorsese talking about fear and paths of glory, which is seen as a classic. There are so many moments in this film, and of course, the Space Odyssey 2001 which really I think changed everything <coughs> for Stanley Kubrick was it a comedy was it a parody of course you got the film Lolita which is so controversial um, but I think Dr. Strangelove here we go they're very naturalistic and rather turgid films they have no longevity they don't endure they're not films that watch for any reason except out of sociological interest but people will watch dr strangelove over and over again because it is so funny and that was the genius of kubrick but also of his collaborators i mean he had the massive fortune to be working with two of the funniest people who have ever been involved in the film industry terry southern and Peter Sellers. What's happened? You see, the string in my leg's gone. The what? The string. I never told you, but you see, got a jammy leg. Oh dear. Gone, shot off. Stanley was his best audience. In fact, he spent many of the scenes just being an audience, not a director at all. He would simply put cameras everywhere he could so that when Peter was off flying high, Stanley says, I don't want anything to be lost and he would just lie on his back you know roaring with laughter that egged peter on to, to ever greater heights also when when they go down into the mine everyone would still be alive there would be no shocking memories and the prevailing motion will be one of nostalgia for those left behind combined with a spirit of <laughs> One of the great things about his film is the scrupulous detail in which everything is, uh, you know, that's part of the, the power of it, the detail in Dr. Strangelove. You know, you would think that he had lived through that experience. Survival kit contents check. In them you will find 145 caliber automatic. Two boxes of ammunition, four days concentrated emergency rations, one drug issue containing antibiotics, morphine, vitamin pills, pep pills, sleeping pills, tranquilizer pills, one miniature combination Russian phrase book and Bible. If while we were shooting, somebody had invited some American service personnel to come to Shepparton, uh, they were 
terrified by the amount of accuracy we had in this aircraft. And the next day, I got a memo from Stanley saying, you, you better make sure that you know where all your references came from, because otherwise we might be investigated by the FBI. So, uh, yeah, I discovered very quickly that behind this boyish enthusiasm and apparent naivety that was a super brain and enormous power and um, utter dedication to movie making. You know, it was quite demoralizing at times when he changed his mind. But every time he did change his mind, it was for the better. But I learned a great deal on that film. I have a plan. Oh yeah. Those are the people, production designers, directors, actors who worked with Stanley Kubrick and Doctor Strangelove for me, that's Kubrick right there. And as I mentioned before, Peter Sellers is playing Mandrake, the president, and Doctor Strangelove. Three roles. In fact, the film it was nominated for a whole slew of Oscars. It didn't win a whole bunch of them. And Peter Sellers was nominated and lost out to Rex Harrison in My Fair Lady. Cute, yeah, okay. But Peter Sellers played three roles. And then a year later, you know, you have uh, uh what was his name? You had uh, Lee Marvin from Cat Baloo winning for playing three... Was it three or two characters in Cat Baloo? So sometimes the Academy doesn't get it right until it's too late. I'm not going to talk... A Clockwork Orange has been talked about. It's been dissected. I'm going to talk about the film really that when Stanley Kubrick died, that's what everyone remembered him for. I'm talking on a smartphone and you know when they they used to make fun of them uh, like saying that they were monoliths like in Space Odyssey 2001 and and the visual the visual first of all nobody can touch Stanley Kubrick visually nobody they can they can say that they oh I'm influenced by Kubrick and then they try it and then only Kubrick could do it and and he was known for the takes he was a perfectionist here we go. With a skin. On the inside edge of that skin, imagine the set being built. And imagine an endless hallway with things along the side. Well, that revolved. There's a scene where I come down a ladder and the other astronaut, Gary Lockwood, is eating apparently upside down because he's on the other side of the centrifuge. And it looks like I walk upside down to him. How that actually was done was that Gary had a hidden harness. He was upside down. So I came in right side up 
and they just revolved Gary down to me, and I just walked in place. And there was this theme of constant rotating, rotating, rotating. The space station is rotating. The spacecraft is rotating. The Earth is rotating. Everything's in orbit. And that established a style of um, intercuttable shots that ultimately later lent itself in, in Stanley's mind to the, the Strauss waltz. divides into two essential eras, before Stanley Kubrick and after Stanley Kubrick, especially in relation to the use of music in films. Before Stanley Kubrick, uh, music tended to be uh, used in films as either decorative or as heightening emotions. After Stanley Kubrick, because of his use of classical music in particular, it became absolutely an essential part of the narrative, intellectual drive of the film. In the use of Ligeti's music, I actually knew that piece of Ligeti, and I remember seeing 2001 and thinking, I'm hearing things, this can't possibly be Ligeti in, in, a, in a Hollywood film, but sure enough it was, and of course it makes the sequence utterly unforgettable. It was for me, especially the visual fantasy, with the speed, with the color and light changes when the spaceship goes down on a moon of the Jupiter, yeah? And then this, the speed is more and more and more. And it was very clear that Dr. Einstein pretended that the light velocity is the highest, you cannot go beyond. But in this film, it was suggested as if would be beyond the speed of light, and then we enter in another world. Open the pod bay doors, Hal. That's Space Odyssey 2001. And A Life in Pictures, directed by Jan Harlan, Stanley Kubrick's brother-in-law, brother to his wife, Christiane, is it Christian uh, Kubrick, the keeper of the Kubrick flame? So there's a lot of talking heads in Stanley Kubrick, A Life of Pictures, or A Life in Pictures. And so I suggest that you watch it. If you've, if you've never really watched his films or you don't like his films, watch this. And you'll see them in a different context. I didn't play all of the films in here because I thought, you know, we would just talk what he means to everybody. Um, what he, th- he means to me. He's the pinnacle. He is the pinnacle. He flew too close to the sun, as he described D.W. Griffin when he gave that speech. 
another person for me who flew too close to the sun was and I'm sh- and I know Kubrick and him were con- contemporaries and that's Igmar Bergman. So these two giants of film were both gone. And now you have the new guard. The new guard who is learning from Kubrick and learning from uh, Bergman. Yeah. I mean, in the 1970s, you had this whole mesh of different directors. You had Coppola and you had Scorsese and Spielberg and De Palma. And then you had Kubrick and Kubrick... They were all just in awe of him. They were scared of him, too. As Jack Nicholson said, he says, everyone pretty much says that he's the man. And I think that underrates him. And it's true. It's true. He's indescribable. And then he was known for his perfectionism. And the people that worked with him said sometimes they wanted to hug him and sometimes they wanted to kill him. Because he expected the utmost excellence out of his staff. Making these films that are, if you to if you search for Kubrick collage, all of his films come up, and and each shot there's always that integral shot, that iconic shot. Whether it's a Clockwork Orange where he's drinking the milk, whether it's The Shining and the twins come play with us, Danny. Space Odyssey 2001, the monolith, and you see the moon and you see the sun. That's symbolic. Dr. Strangelove, you see Slim Pickens riding the bomb. Lolita, the glasses, sunglasses. Paths of Glory, where he's walking through the trenches. Full Metal Jacket on a hole, which is a disturbing movie. And then Eyes Wide Shut, the masks. Barry Lyndon, which was a controversial because some people didn't like it. It was beautifully photographed, beautiful cinematography. And that's the, I, there was always a method to the madness. And with Stanley Kubrick, there was a method to the madness of the takes, of the constant perfectionism, butting heads with actors. I could mention those names, but I'm not going to. I'm not going to because this is a celebration of Stanley Kubrick who we would we would essentially call a master of film he was a masterful filmmaker and he was a crazy one but and there's beauty that he never gave he very rarely gave interviews I think there's a documentary right now on Kubrick on Kubrick which they used audio cassettes that he had recorded so check that out as well and this is the Dr. Zeus Film Podcast. I talk about film. I've, I've said it before. The, the 20th century basically is film. Before television, you would go and see the newsreels in the theaters. Film basically defines the age. And, and now in streaming, um, you had controversial statements by filmmakers saying, I didn't make films to be shown on little phones. Well, they are now. It's revolutionary. It's digital. I think if Stanley Kubrick were here at 93, he would love it. That he could watch films whenever he wanted. Rather than booting it up and then you gotta pull it out. Yeah. The accessibility. And also the digital format. 
the digital format really has changed things. I could totally see him making a film on his iPhone. And and people would watch it and they'd love it and they'd say it's the best ever. So there because he was about innovation and the cameras that he built and the sets that he built for a Space Odyssey 2001, which had never been done before. So that's where Stanley Kubrick is untouchable. He's one of the best. His films can scare you. They can delight you. You always have to watch them over and over and over. Really? to Okay, that's what he got with that. <sighs> Controversy. Stephen King hated The Shining. He said that his, his version in the book was warm and Kubrick's was cold. But at the end of the day, that movie is an iconic movie. Just as The Clockwork Orange with all of its controversy, is an iconic movie. And then A Space Odyssey 2001. Here we are 20 years since the year 2001. We're in 2021. And it's been 63 years. No, 53 years since the film A Space Odyssey 2001. Open the pod bay doors, Hal. I'm I'm sorry, but I'm afraid I can't do that. Yeah. You know, if you ask the phone that now, it will get upset with you. (laughs) It's technology right there. It's built in. So as always, unpleasant dreams. Happy birthday wherever you are in the ether. Stanley Kubrick probably having a conversation with Fellini, Bergman, and D.W. Griffith saying, man, you really flew too close to the sun. Look at us now. Good night. <laughs>